The Sour Hour is meant for the serious brewer. The Sour Hour may contain some seriously funkified content. The Sour Hour is not for the faint of heart. So exercise some damn discretion, would you please? Sheesh. And now, here's the Sour Hour with Jay Goodwin. Can you hear me? Yeah. yeah. Oh, no. I'm, that's good. Okay. <laughs> All right. It's that time. Yeah. <laughs> Last few episodes, I, th- I feel like. Yeah. I guess I should have checked that before the show, but as uh, Scott and I were just talking about, we both kind of walked in about five minutes ago. So, so. frazzled, man. Yeah. We're, we're all right, though. We got our coffee now. We're on the air. We'll just, we'll do it live, you yeah. know? <laughs> it's all going to be fine. <laughs> we even tested the uh, the call with uh, our uh, guest. Yes. Uh, just uh, didn't cover all our bases, I guess. Yeah. That's all right. Uh, welcome back. It's the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. I'm your host, Jay, the Brewing Network Studios in much more pleasant uh, downtown Concord this time of year than oh. uh, middle of summer. Finally cooling off. Yeah, it's, it's super nice out here. Um, here with Scott. Hey, Scott. What's up, dude? Good get to a, see you. Got a more reason to be frazzled. Big trip coming up. Yeah. I'm yeah. Just hearing about. Leaving the uh, country tomorrow morning, going to the Dominican Republic here at the uh, Hop Grenade. We partner with a charity. Uh, we drink Beer Do Good is the campaign we call it. The uh, charity's Project Manana. It is uh, run by a, a cousin, my cousin Brian. And uh, they're just like building schools down in the DR, you know, dirt floors for the uh, nice. the, the poorest of the poor of, of the planet here to go learn something. That's awesome. So they're doing good work down there, and I'm, I'm going to go see it. Awesome. They have a, a website or something? Facebook I believe page? it's, yeah, just projectmanana.org. If you, if you just Google Project Manana, cool. uh, then you'll you'll find all their stuff. Awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Well, that's exciting. Also, well, sad that Bevo's not here tonight. Uh, we're missing her. But happy that uh, we have a guest, great guest tonight, uh, Kevin Martin, the lead blender slash seller master of a legendary brewery, Cascade Brewing. I uh, love Cascade. Portland, Oregon. You know, one of the... The best sour beer brewers in the world, great friends of ours at the Rare Barrel, and uh, just people who we've been looking up to for quite a long time, and uh, just love going out to visit them in Portland. Uh, but they've been doing it for a long time, so uh, we'll chat with Kevin a little bit. I'm going to keep it pretty brief up front because uh, we have a nice little um, recorded segment that Scott uh, edited up from some of you guys. You guys have heard me talk about a lot in the last few shows, which is. Which is which was our search for the rare barrel. Yep. Which uh, just wrapped up, uh, wow, it seems like a long time ago now, but uh, just about a month ago, a little bit more, I guess. Uh, Scott was there for that, and uh, I don't want to spoil any of it, but uh, we'll be listening to what he cut up from that just in this first segment. So we'll keep it brief up front. I um, just want to mention a few uh, sponsors Wine and Hop Shop doing great things they have a cool i was on their website today they have a cool uh homebrew competition festival coming up i think it's called Hoptoberfest, and it just looked awesome and you know uh, if you haven't had a chance yet you know definitely go visit them get some omega yeast gig yeast stuff you know we talk to you guys about that all the time lots of good stuff on the site ubn listeners get a flat eight dollar shipping rate orders under 50 pounds just enter bn shipping in the notes field of the shopping cart and the discount will be taken out after Blah blah blah. <laughs> <laughs> I lost eye contact with my paper and was looking at Scott and take another sip of coffee. Yeah, did not have that. The wine and hop shop, wine and hop. dot com. And then just one more I wanted to mention is uh, our terrific uh, sponsor, Oregon Fruit. Oregon Fruit Products, fruitforbrewing dot com. Um, and this also transitions me into our last show, which uh, our last two shows, which were uh, Chris Sarles from Oregon Fruit who came. In studio uh, to talk about all the great things that are going on at Oregon Fruit and how they're helping brewers kind of just get exactly what they want out of their uh, fruited beers. And I think that's a big thing in sour beer, too. So if you haven't checked them out, definitely check out that episode and then go to Oregon Fruit. And they're going to come out with a couple of new products in the next one. I think one's already out and then one's coming out next week. So probably by the time you're listening to me, both of these will be available. But they've got Passion Fruit. And rhubarb coming out. And we were just at the brewery talking today uh, about how we want to 
get a get an order in on that on our uh, next order and and try those out. It's pretty exciting stuff. Hell yeah! But they're always happy to uh, talk to you about it. I heard they just hired a, a brewer liaison, new position, so it's just working with breweries. So definitely go learn more about it on uh, two shows ago, and then we had uh, another great sponsor, Matt Miller from sour beer blog the good doctor on the show after that talking about his latest article good stuff there too i'm going to keep it short up top i think we'll talk about some of the other stuff we want to talk about what's been going on a lot's been happening yeah, since has. the last show but uh let's just focus for now on search for the rare barrel we had a great time thanks to everyone who came out um definitely had a lot of listeners come up and say you know love the podcast and happy to be out there so i was happy to see some some crossover there because there's a lot of stuff we talk about that not everyone gets to participate in totally so. also let me let me say this too quickly um happy third anniversary man thank you, know, you we've yeah. also had your anniversary party in between the uh the last show and this show so it's been the search and the anniversary parties it's been two epic uh, rare barrel parties in between the uh, last broadcast and mm-hmm. now and as anybody that knows me can attest the day after a rare barrel party is <laughs> shot no good you just a, it's a dead sunday yeah as as mentioned before on our uh firestone walker invitational recap we we like to do it up pretty big so uh we're not uh we're not big on helping people out for the next day but <laughs> you come to a r- r- party with the rare barrel you're gonna have a hell of a night so uh we'll get into that and also gbf and all sorts of new stuff that's been going on since the last show should we just dive right in into your uh your banger of let's a do it man we're gonna we're gonna bring you guys uh, the search for the rare barrel uh, as best we can through your earbuds i'm excited to hear it for myself let's uh roll the tape i mean we've been waiting to do the search for the rare barrel for about four years well the search for the rare barrel 2016 for those of you familiar with american sour beer and familiar with this show which i'm guessing you are you probably know the story of ph1 the rare barrel ph1 is one legendary pile of oak i won't do the whole story in too much detail because it's been discussed on the show but suffice it to say that through a long winding mountain road of trials and tribulations at new belgium and russian river eventually it showed up unannounced at the rare barrel lauren gifted it to uh, jay and alex and uh, there it resides that's ph1 that's what the search for the rare barrel is about it's about that one barrel that just stands out from the rest that just houses that perfect blend of yeast and bacteria so if you are searching for the rare barrel how do you find the rare barrel well you invite a mix of the public and your ambassadors club and industry friends at all to your brewery to do flights of barrel samples and then you have them rate it and then you use all of those notes to pick a few finalists and then you invite lauren from new belgium and Vinny from russian river to your brewery to have a powwow to help you pick which one is the one which one is the rare barrel well today i'm going to try and bring a little bit of that day to you I got there in the afternoon, right as the people of the hour were arriving. The public was still there, busy tasting some of the offerings. And in walked Lauren. And the brilliant question I thought to ask her was, Hey, Lauren, what are you doing here? Um, Good question. Adventure? Fun times? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) The rarest of all the barrels. So I was there for fun times, too, of course, and enjoyed a nice finished carbonated rare barrel beer while I sauntered up to Jay to find the man, of course, hard at work. Mike and I are pouring our final 10 uh, rare barrel candidates. Lauren and Vinny have uh, arrived, and we're about to sit down and start uh, sniffing and drinking. What's going on in your head? I feel pretty good. Um, I'm anxious to see what Lauren and Vinny think about our beers because I was thinking about it before and their cultures are so consistent and I think they know their beers so well where ours are all over the place. So uh, I think it'll be uh, things on the far ends of the spectrum for them. You know, like, I hate this, I love this, and uh, hopefully we come to one that we all love. Well, I'm uh, looking forward to uh, kind of building on what the uh, all of the Rare Barrels customers and guests, uh, you know, chose. Now here's a voice you haven't heard on the Brewing Network for way too long. It's Vinny from Russian River. It's kind of a cool program that they let the customers pick, you know, the initial so 10. And then, and then we'll we'll take over from there. I, and I guess it seems fitting too with uh, the whole PH1 connection with with Lauren and I as well. 
Jay thinks that your, your reactions are going to be like polarized, like you're going to love it, you're going to hate it. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, Indian leg wrestling uh, for the yeah, winner? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Or, just, <laughs> or we can simply Rochambeau the, for the winner. <laughs> so there was a uh, the first time that Blind Pig won an award at GABF after we had won the silver the judge came up to me, it was Steve Parks, and he says the top two beers were so good we flipped a coin and <laughs> you got silver and they got gold. Yeah, it's like they couldn't yeah. they couldn't decide. So yeah, whatever. <laughs> luck is luck. <laughs> luck is yeah. Or not. And so was it gonna be the toss of a coin or polarized expert opinions? Who knows? But Jay commenced explaining to Vinny and Lauren in front of a group of gawkers, myself included, holding my stupid recorder and a bunch of other camera people and journalists and hangers on. It was really quite the spectacle. He began to explain what the setup in front of them was and what the process would be for the decision they were about to make. So I'll tell you guys what I'm, how I kind of see this going, but please, 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 if you see a better way of doing it, let me know. So we have the 10 samples. They're all golden sours. None of them have secondary ingredients, so no spice, no fruit. So we're looking for the character of the yeast and bacteria to be passed forward, just like it has in pH1. These are literally like all the same base beer? It's the same malt bill, all malt with bill. different mixes of yeast and bacteria, different okay. ages. Yeah. Different age yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, so I figured maybe a good place to just start is to run through them kind of individually. Yep. We'll just take our own notes. Yep. Maybe a little like one to five just so we can have a common, um, a little bit of a common scoring system on our first pass. Or smiley faces. Smiley faces. <laughs> Wink being, you know, ambiguous. Plus minus kind of guy. <laughs> At that point, we can talk about each. Yep. And then we can talk about whether we want to do like a, a retasting of like a final three or something like that. Okay. And, pick the one. And away they went, tasting and talking, taking notes and taking names. This one had a little bit of a nail polish aroma, but it's pleasant. Um, I'd like to note here, while we kind of listen to them uh, tasting and doing their thing in the background, that when I did my flight, there was one barrel, there was one glass whose contents really stood out. Really, all of the examples to my palate were almost indistinguishable. And, you know, I think it's pretty well established that my palate is less than great. And obviously, that's what makes Lauren and Jay and Vinny, Lauren and Jay and Vinny, is their palates and their ability to distinguish some of these nuances. But it kind of blows my mind that they can go through the flight that I did or, or a similar flight and pick up lots of subtle differences. I, I, I mean, I thought it was a good barrel. It's a good, Positive, it's a good but barrel. We're not excited. There was one other one down the line that I'll mention that I thought had that great balance to maybe a little young on this other one, but... Uh that was pretty good. So if you can picture the scene, my recorder was sitting in the center of the small table around which these three were gathered, and it just kind of sat there while I and the rest of the peanut gallery sort of stood off to the side and talked amongst ourselves and imbibed rare barrel beers, of course, and they just kind of continued to go at it. That was, <laughs> you got gym socks and uh, get, out for me too. Bad, bad acidity. <laughs> that was the that was my uh, bottom of the table right there. Slowly but surely, they started to weed out some of the misses and acknowledge some of the hits. To recap, going down the line, W6A is out. Y6M is out. U4Y is in. Yeah. J1X is definitely out. <laughs> G0K is in. And there was a lot of positive comments for that. Yep. I2M is in. L6T uh, is good, but out. Too young. E8I is in. And there was, again, a lot of positive comments for that. Yep. P9T is in. And M6Q is out. Right. All right. So how do you, how do you guys think we should attack this part? I think we should eliminate maybe two, get it down to three. That sounds good. And then all of a sudden it was the final round. And the peanut gallery, well, we sat there with bated breath and wondered as they sniffed and swirled and sniffed again and tasted and swirled again, which one was it going to be? I had one that I really liked on the first one, and I didn't uh, as yeah. much on this it's one. <laughs> similar experience yeah. for me. But my favorite was still my favorite. What's your bottom? Very bottom. My very bottom is probably U4Y. 
But you liked it? Yeah. Is U or Y you like that? Is it your favorite one? I just I think it's lovely. I just think it's a I just put lovely. It's like start to finish, it's a, it's a great barrel. To me, P9 T is like a more mature U or Y. P9T, I, I wasn't that excited about it first. I thought it was kind of just solid all the way through. But as I keep coming back to it, I find myself liking the aroma more and more. Yeah, I think P9T is That was my number two, but I think that it's the most interesting. What are you guys' descriptors? How are you going to describe P9T? Why is this the rarest Super good. It's super yummy. <laughs> yummy. <laughs> Don't you know? Lots of citrus, but in different levels, like different types of citrus. Orange, grapefruit. Yeah, it's really layered. Um, to me, it has a like wine, Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc character. Probably more Sauvignon Blanc than mm-hmm. yeah. Chard with those mm-hmm. citrusy notes. And that That's one of those barrels that had a little bit of that marshmallow thing that I like. Yeah. And um, it was really clean acidity mm-hmm. and just really bright on the palate yeah really easy to drink there it is barrel p9t is that the rare barrel yep good yeah good deal yes yeah <laughs> yes nice right. job lauren nice job that was fun yeah it is fun it's so fun to taste other people's barrels Okay, hey guys, quickly, give me your uh, closing uh, thoughts of uh, what you just experienced there. Any strong arm best through the whole process. Dictating <laughs> <laughs> uh, as usual. Uh, no, um, Lauren said it's fun drinking someone else's beer. and It's GBF sort of, but on a little more casual or a lot more casual basis. I think once we eliminated the first couple, it was pretty easy. Yeah, I thought that it was going to, there were five ones that immediately could get gone, and then after that, it was just a little bit of conversation, and the, the winner presented yeah. herself. And then it, in the aftermath, it's straight to the bar, of course, where Vinny orders himself Pliny. <laughs> just... It's not, it's not because I have to drink my own beer. It's only hoppy beer they have on. Yeah, and, well, yeah, you, I you love, went for hops. But I love hops after sour beer. It accentuates uh, the, the sour, that sour beer accentuates the hops. And then, of course, it was time for the obligatory tall Alex addressing of the Rare Barrel crowd on hand. Hi, my name is Alex. For those of you who are here for the search for the Rare Barrel, uh, this is a pretty special day for us. Uh, so over the last two days, we've had a bunch of friends and the industry and ambassadors come in and taste through about 40 of our barrels from our barrel cellar. And there are over 100 people that whittled them down to today, which is our final day of the search for the rare barrel, where we have Lauren Salazar from New Belgium and Vinny Taruzzo from Russian River here to taste the final ones. It's, it's a huge deal for us to, to have them here, uh, not only because of where PH1 lived, but really because they were making American sour beer before it was called American sour beer and before anyone else was doing it. So they've been tasting it back for the last uh, about hour and a half of the last uh, 10 barrel samples and selected the rare barrel. The rare barrel happens to be barrel P9T. What? Well, and there you go. And now that the selection has been made, what's next? What to do with the Rare Barrel? Well, as you might imagine, they have some awesome long-term plans for that bad boy. We're going to use that exceptional blend of yeast and bacteria to make more beer. And that's going to influence the direction of our barrel house back here for years to come. Let's raise a glass to the search party and to Vinny and Lauren for pioneering American sour beer. Yeah! And thus wrapped up perhaps the most epic day in the history of the Young Rare Barrel. To celebrate, we all got in Ubers and met at a Japanese restaurant there near the Rare Barrel in Berkeley, as recommended by Tall Alec, who went on to order for the table something I've never... I mean, I'm an adventurous eater, but I have never eaten this dish. It was chicken tartare. Yeah, raw poultry was foisted upon us by the uh, crew of the Rare Barrel. So as if uh, an afternoon full of acid wasn't enough, it was washed down with uh, some raw chicken uh, amongst 
a lot of other uh, delightful culinary adventures. Uh, by that point, we were riding a pretty good buzz. And in listening to my recordings from that night, I stumbled across this one, which I didn't remember making. But apparently there was uh, some uh, competition as to who was going to cover the check for this large dinner. And now, uh, after all the festivities, we're sitting here at an awesome dinner. And the bill came, and I have never seen a more epic struggle for a bill. Lauren grabbed the bill and tried to hold it away from everybody as they were wrestling her for it. And uh, I don't know, what was that about? Things got physical. (laughs) Let's get physical, physical. You're going to see how seamlessly that integrates into the whole segment. Oh, God, I hope not. And with that, I will mercifully bring to a close this, the Search for the Rare Barrel, in audio form. I hope you enjoyed being there virtually as much as I enjoyed being there physically, and I can't wait until the next search. And with that, just one last thing to say, a little throwback. Until next time, this is Scott the Jew saying l'chaim. Since the first time the Brewing Network microphones turned on, more beer was behind it. More Beer sponsors the programming on the BN because, like you, they love brewing. And like the Brewing Network, they love sharing their knowledge. MoreBeer.com isn't just a website to place your next equipment or ingredient order. MoreBeer.com also gives you access to free beer information that will make you a better brewer. Go to MoreBeer.com and click into the Learning Center. You'll find podcasts, technical facts, video tutorials, and more, including access to The Buzz, More Beer's social network of more than 5,000 members. And some of them might even be crazier about beer than you are. Get over to MoreBeer.com today and take advantage of The Buzz, The Forum, The Learning Center, And make sure you're signed up to receive the newest More Beer catalog. More Beer, bringing you absolutely everything for beer making. Hey, this is Lauren from New Belgium Brewing Company, and you are listening and learning from the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. blown away by that uh, segment Scott put together. Great job. Thanks, dude. Man, thanks for having me there. Uh, fun day. It was fun, but you, I mean, you captured a lot of it there, and uh, yeah, just to, <laughs> to hear Vinny and Lauren, you know, talk about it again, it's just, I guess, you know, it doesn't hit you in the moment, but then, you know, after you look back, it's like, wow, they were there for, you know, this thing that we've been dreaming up for the last, you know, four years, and... Yeah, that actually happened. Yeah, so. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, and it is. It, it is always sort of hard to enjoy yourself in the moment because you're so sort of preoccupied and you're just sort of floating around, you know? Absolutely. And then, so, it, yeah, it is nice to uh, go and relive it. Yeah, great job. Um, I'm going to have to compose myself somehow. So in order to do that, I'm going to do a live read. Perfect. From one of our great Brewing Network sponsors, iDip. You guys might have heard of them from the other BN shows. They want us to tell you that their smart brew water testing kit is incorporating a revolutionary photometer, which is the first and only one on the market uh, with its own app. Multilingual app is the brain. Smart Brew allows you to focus on the taste of your beer. It's for both home and commercial use, so you can commercial brewers can get involved. Uh, it takes great water to make great beer, of course, and the iDip pairs via a Bluetooth, a Bluetooth, the Bluetooth. Tooth. The, the tooth. I call um, it tooth for short. The tooth. And uh, updates your water results instantly to your own personal water profile. Uh, so this is where you really want to pay attention, though. The Brewing Network special for this. Uh, all you podcast listeners can enter the code TBN10, TBN10, at checkout and save $10 on either their standard version or the advanced uh, smart brew testing kit. Order now and make this futuristic technology part of your brewing process. Visit www dot smart brew kit 
dot com. Nailed it. Yeah, you did. It's good stuff. Yeah, I did. Like Jay said, man, water, very important. And uh, I know you guys are uh, advanced brewers listening to this show. And uh, water's huge. So check out, and check out the hard. I dip. Yeah. Well, you know, water is really hard to, uh, for at least me, maybe I won't speak for everyone, but to wrap my mind around mm-hmm. not having a lot of um, chemistry background. So anything that can help you just get to more accurate readings on your water is is really going to help absolutely this makes it about as easy as it can be awesome okay well let's uh delay no further coffee's just kicking it don't worry (laughs) (laughs) and bring in our guest kevin martin from cascade brewing how's it going kev i'm doing well how are you doing jay great to hear from you thanks for uh joining us on the show and sending some beers yeah my pleasure huge fan of the show and uh was very pleased to uh get the invite Oh, of course. We've been wanting to have Cascade on for a long time, and especially to be talking to you. You are the lead blender slash seller master slash taste master, master of a lot of things. Is that accurate? Uh, yeah. Uh, generally, I like to go by Funk Master Flex, but, uh, you know, Barrel Master, <laughs> Seller Master, sure. Any, any will do. Excellent. Well, uh, you know, we've gotten to know each other uh, pretty well over the last few years, hanging out, uh, having beers in different places, and... Uh, talking about sours and even doing some blending together. But uh, maybe you could give us a little intro uh, into who you are, your background, and then maybe just, uh, I, I highly doubt that people listening to the show don't know Cascade Brewing, but for those who don't, maybe just a little bit about Cascade. Sure, yeah, I'd love to. Um, for myself, uh, my adventures in um, fermentation started, oh, 2003, 2004, uh, with a homebrew kit, you know, as, as, uh, as the case for so many, uh, brewers, um, and it really kind of stayed on that path for several years. Um, that was in Pennsylvania where I grew up. Uh, and then in 2007, I moved to Portland and, uh, actually kind of serendipitously through a Craigslist ad, you know, found my, myself working, uh, summers and into harvest at, uh, some wineries, in Oregon and um, wound up working in the wine industry uh, from 2007 until 2012. So, uh, and I had a chance to do, um, you know, work in wineries in Australia and New Zealand, but primarily in uh, Oregon's Willamette Valley. So winemaking really is the, um, the bulk of my, my kind of uh, uh, cutting my teeth in, in fermentation on a commercial level. And then, um, but I, you know, I wanted to return to kind of that interest in brewing beer, particularly home brewing, uh, you know, and, and wanting to step into the commercial level there. Uh, so I uh, went through the American Brewers Guild um, course and got just a little bit of more uh, in-depth scientific understanding of, of brewing. And uh, shortly thereafter, wound up at Cascade. Um, you know, I, I had uh, met Ron Gansberg, our brewmaster, previously uh, several times. He has a winemaking past you know we always kind of had these uh this this uh kinship and this chemistry that really worked and then when um when i was looking for for work in beer it was kind of a, a good fit i mean i think that cascade we we have um a general interest in hiring people with with winemaking experience as well as beer knowledge and so that kind of worked out well and i've been here ever since going on uh, five years awesome and what you know with your winemaking background and now being at cascade uh blended in some great beers there um what what do you think are the most transferable skills that you take from you know your wine experience to what you're doing now well given that cascade primarily works with fresh fruit uh well completely with fresh fruit uh occasionally we'll work with some dried stuff um but uh fruit fermentations is really i think a, a very important part of it um and i know now i'm seeing more and more sour beer producers working with whole fruit which is great and uh i mean i think it's it, it's it's a great um direction for for beer i mean there's a lot of great alternatives out there as well but but working with with whole fruit processing thousands and thousands of pounds of fruit uh in a you know timely manner and efficient manner and um you know respect giving respect to the fruit and managing those ferments um using winemaking practices to to ferment uh tanks uh and barrels of of fruit i think is really a main uh transferable uh skill set i think blending to blending is inherent in the winemaking process um and i mean for as long as winemaking has been around uh people have been blending and i think that it's a newer concept uh, within the, you know, at least in the American craft beer scene. 
And so um, to, to kind of bring some of the, the winemaking philosophies and approaches to blending um, and, and, you know, work ma- barrel management, working with barrels, running a, a barrel cellar, those aspects are all very transferable. Um, I will say short of, uh, you know, uh, a brief stint on the brew deck and a, a little bit of home brewing. I mean, I do not claim to be any kind of uh, talented brewer by any aspect. You know, I very much am a, a, a blender and, uh, you know, uh, working in, in barrel cellars. Yeah, and maybe you could just uh, kind of to give some background on uh, what Cascade is like for those who haven't been there or uh, maybe aren't as familiar with your, your methods. What's the kind of relationship of, you know, your your uh, your barrel house there in Portland, the, the new facility you guys are, have been developing, and then the, uh, like, the Raccoon Lodge? How does that all fit together? Yeah, uh, great question. So um, we at Cascade, we are known for our, what we call our Northwest Sour Ales, um, it's just kind of a style that we are trying to define, you know, ourselves and, and work towards. Um, and so, uh, what we consider Northwest sour ale is something that is, uh, fruit driven, um, certainly, uh, barrel aged, uh, and, uh, we work with lactobacillus as our primary souring bacteria. So we, we like to have beers that express very kind of clean fruit flavors that that's pretty much the the very general definition of what we're doing here at Cascade. Although we do make uh, non sour beers as well um, that we serve at our pubs, uh, and so that kind of segues into how we structure our company. Um, as far as production goes, we have two main production facilities. Are uh, so the 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 brewery is attached to the Raccoon Lodge. Raccoon Lodge is uh, one of our two uh, pubs. Um, the brewery is, of course, attached to that building. That's where we brew all of our non-sour beers as well as all of the base beers for our sours. Um, and then complementing that facility is what we now call our blending house, which is our sour production facility. Um, it used to be at the Barrel House. Um, many people who have come to Cascade, have been to Portland, have been to the Barrel House Pub. Um, it's sort of uh, our central uh, point for people to come and, and try our beers. Our, our production used to be there, but we grew, outgrew that space. And then uh, about a year and a half ago, we officially moved our pr- full-time production into the Blending House, uh, which is only about a couple miles away from our brewery. And that's where we now house all of our barrels, all of our blending tanks, our fruit fermentation tanks, our fooders, and uh, packaging and, and um, distribution all run out of this facility. Great. Yeah, I've personally had many, many, many great times at the, the barrel house there in Portland. And uh, when, I, when I've been lucky enough to be hanging out with uh, you or Ron or anyone from Cascade, it's always been a uh, a very uh, extensive tasting process, <laughs> and I think a lot of a lot of people listening know that you guys are uh, probably ranked first when it comes to uh, hospitality for people. So it's a great place if you guys out there listening have not visited it. And there's one more thing I wanted to to get you to talk about, which is just a, I think a really top notch and special thing that you guys do is the uh, Tap It Tuesdays. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, yeah. So the the tapping. Well, first of all, I just want to say we do like to be thorough in our tasting, especially with visitors. As, <laughs> as I know you and Jay have, Alex, uh, you and Alex have uh, experienced uh, firsthand. Um, uh, the Tap It Tuesday program uh, occurs every single Tuesday at six o'clock at our Barrel House Pub, and um, it's it's a program where we are releasing a brand new beer every single week, um, which really um, forces us to stress our creativity and make sure that we are kind of staying on our toes. Um, it's, it kind of functions almost as an R&D department for, um, for what we're doing on, on the creative side. But we invite uh, two guests. You know, people can sign up online or, you know, oftentimes we'll have uh, brewery uh, industry peers do it or we might have distributors do it or we might have just some people who showed up that day or if people sign up ahead of time in uh, – on our website, um, they can come in. We usually have one person holding uh, the spigot. Uh, we have another person holding a mallet, and it's it's basically like a uh, like a big firkin. You know, we're just tapping into an oak barrel, um, and it's it's a beer that goes on for two weeks and it comes off, uh, and that's about. Uh, that's about the only time that uh, people get to, to try it. So, um, you know, 
it's it's a great way for us to experiment with with new ingredients um, and but also we will uh, preview uh, upcoming projects you know we might give a sneak peek at a, at a specialty project that we have come up or if we're working on a blend and say we're one third of the way there and it's just tasting really really great and it's um, primordial form. We'll, we might release really do a special limited release of that. So it's a, it's a it's a unique way for people who come to the barrel house to try something that really they're not going to be able to taste anywhere else and is only going to have a very limited run. So it's a lot of fun. We certainly have had what we call uh, our sour showers occasionally, where <laughs> you know somebody. Uh, hits the spigot halfway into the barrel and it shoots back out and beer spraying everywhere and everybody's trying to uh to to uh, clean up every last drop or at least uh stop the the flow of beer out of the barrel i've certainly <laughs> had my fair share of jumping in front of a of a giant jet of uh, sour beer coming out of the barrel but it's a lot of fun there's a lot of uh, anticipation and suspense you know each week with how our tappers are going to do and and how the beer is going to going to be tasting so it, it's a really fun program that 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 definitely keeps us on our toes yeah and i have to say uh alex and i are lucky enough to have experienced this firsthand we came up uh to portland right before uh the brewery we, we before we uh, even took occupancy of our space to uh start construction on the rare barrel and uh you know we just rolled by on a whim it was happened to be uh just so happens it was tuesday you know we didn't we didn't think we were going to be the tappers but it sounded like for some reason there like someone dropped out or whatever they asked us to do it and uh we did it very minimal spillage i'd say a couple drops definitely got out of that spigot but it was uh <laughs> it's pretty thrilling thrilling but you could definitely like you, I've seen videos of it online where it just is going everywhere, which is, you know, just as fun, but also probably not that fun to to clean up. But um, I bring it up for a couple of reasons. One, because I just love that uh, tradition you guys have. But two uh, is because it was a really special memory for Alex and I, not just because it was a lot of fun, but to be at a place that inspired us a lot um, right before we opened was special. And when I say right before we opened, I mean we, were, we had a 6 a.m. flight back to the bay area the next day and we had just found out before tapping the barrel at cascade that we were going to get the keys to our warehouse that day it was an ongoing process and it kind of like just went on and on for a little while and we had no idea when it was going to happen and it was just a, it was a really special time for us to think back and if i have my dates right and we could probably check on this on the break but i believe it was four years ago to the day that we took occupancy of our space at the rare barrel wow. the night before was when we were at cascade to do the tap at tuesday oh, perfect so oh, that's great well I, I remember that that tuesday i absolutely remember you guys coming by that was that was great and at the time you know that was the first time that we had met um and it you know it's interesting because we at cascade i mean cascade's been doing sour beer now for you know, as as long as as many of the other uh, kind of the old dogs in the sour sour beer game at this point, and uh, we've seen a lot of people who come through with with interests in starting something. Now, obviously, you know, when when you were coming through, you had a background, a resume behind you that supported your success. But you know, we see a lot of people talking about starting new new ind- new businesses, new breweries, sour programs, and things like that. And uh, so many of them never even come to fruition, and then. You know, with with you guys at the Rare Barrel, it's like we just we watched as you know you launched your facility, you launched your brand, your beers came out, you start you know, winning medals, just seeing it on the shelf. Or you know, of course, I think that we've shipped beer back and forth to one another a few times, and we've been involved in a few events together. And you know, I'm sitting here, I'm actually drinking a bottle of your Forces Unseen right now. It's a uh, Rare Barrel is uh, you know absolutely a favorite of uh myself and of the the entire cascade team so i mean we really really uh have nothing but respect with what you guys have done and the the lengths that you you've grown in the last uh four years or so it's just been amazing no uh, it means a lot and you know we have all the respect for you guys too which is why we kind of always find each other at these events cbc gabf and uh <laughs> seem to end up at the same bar drinking beer together so it's, uh, <laughs> it's <laughs> funny how that yeah actually unfortunately i wasn't able to make it to gabf this year but i i you know, heard you ran across a, a few of our of our team members and they were very very thankful for uh 
you know, all your hospitality at the at your booth and in, uh, in Denver. So yeah, no no need to elaborate. Effort. No need to elaborate more on that story. <laughs> we'll just leave it at we ran into each other. <laughs> um, well, great. I mean, I'm going to repay the compliment again here by just mentioning the beer we have open. And then I think we've got some uh, some listener questions to get to. But maybe uh, just in short, you could tell some tidbits about uh, Elderberry, which is what we have open now. Sure. Yeah, our elderberry. Uh, so elderberry is brewed uh, with a base, our sour red ale. Um, you know, we we brew about twelve to thirteen different base beers uh, and and fruit them uh, based on what we think is you know sympathetic. What base beer is sympathetic to the fruit? Uh, in this case, we work with uh, our red ale and a little bit of uh, our strong red ale, which is just a few degrees Plato uh, greater than than our base red. Um, we like to age those. Reds in uh, red wine barrels. Again, that's it's got some great sympathetic characters. We we got a hold of some some really great Zinfandel barrels, uh, some Cab barrels, and uh, some Oregon Pinot barrels. So we get a nice uh, red wine character in in the uh, the base beer before it's, it's been fruited, um, and we do like to age that beer for you know the majority of its life before we actually add the the elderberries and. Uh, Elderberries is uh, are one of those few ingredients that we actually work with dried, um, and uh, it it's a really interesting. In my opinion, it's one of the the, more, uh, the most complex beers that we make, and the elderberries just are all over the board from these you know leathery uh, kind of uh, cabernet notes, uh, and then there's uh, hints of you know chocolate to them, but then on the other end there are these really bright notes like a lemon tamarind and um uh you know i always like to think of flavors on the spectrum of like from the very low tones to these very these very high tones and uh you know high tones being like your mint and your menthol and your eucalyptus things and those low tones being chocolate and um you know charred oak and things like that and uh, i really think that elderberry of all of our beers runs that the the spectrum from end to end uh and really is 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 one of my favorites and the 2015 project that we just released i think is uh one uh, probably the most successful version of the elderberry that that we've put out yeah it's excellent and that's been our experience with elderberry at the rare barrel as well i i have to say if there's you know sour beer makers out there you know who are intimidated because they haven't used elderberries or tasted them or whatever. I, it's it's a favorite of ours, and this one's fantastic as well. I love the the support that your your red base gives it. Just a terrific beer, and the way you described the complexity of the elderberry was was spot on as well. We we've got a lot of beers to get to, and also a lot of questions. So let's do a question, take a quick break, and then get right back into it. Okay. First, I want to get to a comment regarding elderberries from uh, Jen, uh, the inimitable Jen from Wicked Weed, oh, okay. who uh, is, email, is listening and emailed, and she said, uh, Hello, in, all, in all caps, elderberry is trash fruit, my least favorite <laughs> thing I've worked with, and a pain in the ass to get all those tiny garbage berries out of a tank. Well, <laughs> that's yeah, a nice, yeah. nice torpedo to the side of the show, Jen, first off. <laughs> and, yeah, See, I guess what, they're not for everyone. <laughs> you know, I, I will say this about the elderberry. So when, when we, we store, we, we have them in a drawer for a little while in this one kind of side room where we keep a lot of our, our spices and other things. And uh, at one point it was like, God, there's the smell of, like, socks and cheese coming from somewhere and we kind of had to to walk through the facility figure out where it was coming from and there was a there was a guy who was actually his desk was in there and it was like hey man i think i think you know you gotta go home and take a shower or do your dirty laundry or something like that and here we realized that the elderberries sitting in the drawer by themselves were just emanating this very kind of locker room aroma which uh it, it's funny because that's that's what we get when they're just kind of sitting there dry in a room uh, once we get them into the beer, though, I really think that they transcend, you know, they, they kind of go beyond what, what you would expect from them and get these great flavors. As far as extracting them out of a tank, I mean, they are little bitty things, and, I mean, we they, they can be a, a pain to transfer from vessel to vessel. But, um, you know, we've had success using sort of just a very coarse canister filter um, and even just putting um, – screens at the bottom of our racking canes just to kind of keep them from being pulled, you know, if we have them in the barrel, to keep them from being pulled up through our lines. I mean, that's that's been a success for us. But, 
I will say we, we, we've worked with much more difficult ingredients than the elderberry. <laughs> yeah, I'll look at that, too. I, I do think that the, we had the same experience uh, the first time we used elderberries, that there was a weird aroma coming off just the... And we used dried elderberries as well. And it's just like, whoa, is this is this a mistake to put into the beer? Um, we had, like, kind of tinctured it out. We made, like, a little dried elderberry tincture, and that tasted amazing in beer. So I'm glad that actually didn't stop us, and I'm glad you brought that up, uh, Kevin, because, you know, I think that's that the fl- the aroma coming off of the dried product is enough to not, like, to stop you from putting it in. But, uh, yeah, two votes for it's worth it, one <laughs> vote from Jen that says it's not. Do you have, uh, you, is that apropos of nothing that you're talking about? Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. so dipping quickly back into the uh, archive here, this is uh, one of the Milk the Funk questions from uh, many months ago from uh, Marius, and Marius said that he he was curious about the making of apropos um, regarding the addition of elderberries, but also lavender, because he said it's the only uh, beer that contains lavender that he's ever had where it really works wonderfully, you know, well-balanced, and those ingredients kind of play off each other. So have you worked, have you done an elderberry only beer we have not um it's kind of nice having the elderberry here on their own um we use the lavender to kind of interweave the the somewhat floral aspects that we get off of the elderberry um but we use it in such a small amount it's about one ounce in a 59 gallon oak barrel which is like nothing basically um but yeah lavender is extremely powerful um I think a lot of people just get like a, a soap character if mm-hmm. there's too much lavender in a beer um, so we were cognizant of that, and we really wanted the elderberry to shine. So it's just a little accent. The elderberry d- really dominates that beer. Yep. Cool. Uh, break time so we can get some more beers. Let's do it. All right. We'll be right back with Kevin from Cascade. This is the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. Hey, guys, what'll it be? I'm not sure. What do you recommend? A lot of people seem to like the Hefeweizen. Is that a German Hefeweizen or more of an American-style wheat beer? I'm not sure, but I can give you a taste. Okay, great. Great. The Cicerone Certification Program certifies and educates beer professionals in order to elevate the beer experience for consumers. Unfortunately, not every bar is staffed with certified beer servers who can guide their customers through a beer list. Here you go, guys. Let me know what you think of the Hefeweizen. Oh, yeah. That's definitely more of an American meat. But I can hardly tell because this beer just smells like sour butter. I wonder how long it's been since they cleaned the draft lines. Yeah, and look at the bubbles on the side of the glass. It's filthy. Somebody should tell these guys about the Cicerone program. For sure. How about we head somewhere else for another beer? Your server should give beer the same respect you do. Request quality. The Cicerone certification program offers four levels of beer certification, in-person classes, and course books for beer professionals. Check them out at Cicerone.org. The Cicerone Certification Program. We know beer. up our equipment man god falling apart over as here. you know it works perfectly so stop messing with it yeah yeah absolutely all me <laughs> you know where it does work per- perfectly where all the other bn shows oh such as brew strong dr homebrew brewing with style in the session you guys should check those out uh i'm catching up on my um session episodes oh yeah and it's like a it's like an all-star team of local brewers lately yeah like a lot of good good buddies so that's good to see and you know, always good to have in-studio guests there. So. Absolutely. Well, it's just nice to have a, a wealth of them to choose from. Absolutely. I mean, you know, yeah. I, you know, 2007, Justin out of the garage. It's like, uh, I guess Vinny's coming by again. I don't know. <laughs> now there's just there's just so many that yeah. just didn't exist. What three years ago? Four years Although, ago? Yeah, Vinny coming by again is. <laughs> yeah. Now, now that now we can't get that to happen. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty good though. We're back with uh, Kevin from Cascade Brewing, the lead blender, and uh, we've got another beer open here, and it's the Fram Blanc. Yep. Uh, Jen just emailed and said, this beer sucks, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Jen. Uh, tell us about this one. Uh, so this is actually the first time we've released the Front Blanc. Um, it's, uh, it's on a base of blonde and triple ales that we aged uh, primarily in Chardonnay barrels. Um, and then uh, we added golden raspberries or white raspberries to it. Um, so it's it's a uh, it's project we we began toying around with actually began as a live barrel 
Um, and it really got a great reception. Our staff here were, was very excited about it, and it was something that um, we we wanted to to grow up into maybe a small draft run and then maybe get into bottles. But once we started getting in the fruit, I mean, it was just such pristine, gorgeous uh, fruit that was grown on a farm just about, I think it's maybe 11 miles from, from our production facility here. And, um, you know, they had more than what we had initially uh, asked for. And so at, at some point we just said, yeah, yeah, just keep it coming, keep it coming. And uh, we were able to get a... Um, a small bottle run out of it as well. So uh, unfortunately, we didn't get a lot out into our distribution markets as of yet, but uh, but we're we're going to try to do it again this year on a slightly larger scale, um, so that we can actually get it out um, across the country. But um, I think that this is a really great example. You know, I mentioned earlier about making Northwest sour ales that are just very clean expressions of fruit. And in, in this beer in particular, I think we were successful in that, um, just capturing just this pure essence of a, of a golden raspberry. Yeah, and what were the character of the raspberries uh, before you put them into the beer? By the way, it's, it's fantastic, by the way. It's really tasting really great. Thank you. Yeah. No, um, well, the, so the golden raspberries, I don't, you know, I, they're not as um, widely uh, harvested as, as red raspberries or black raspberries. So they're really pale in color. Um, they, they kind of resemble a, a red raspberry, um, but I think that there's a little bit more of an acidic bite to them, which, which works well with our beers. Um, and I think that uh, if you can kind of put the raspberry on a spectrum, you know, when you get into the black raspberries, you get into the flavors of like blackberries and marionberries, boysenberries, and then the red kind of backs off of that dark bramble fruit character a little bit. Um, and the, the white raspberry, if you could kind of back off of the red raspberry a little bit, it kind of gets a little bit further away from those dark summer fruit flavors. Um, but it's really just this, this very pure raspberry essence. I, you know, if, if you can get a pint of golden raspberries, or uh, their, their season is, is very, very short. Uh, and I think that they only cultivate them in certain uh, areas of the country. But if you're able to get your hands on some golden raspberries, they're just a really, really delicious uh, summer tree. It's like summer in the glass. Yeah, it's awesome. It reminds me a lot of champagne, actually. There's like a definite like white grape character to this. That's And the beer's also you know got a nice level of carp to it. So it's just really on point for that, that sort of style. Yeah, yeah, I think that uh, with our with the base beers, the triples and the blondes, there's there's an inherent kind of um, pear, honey, um, even a little bit of stone fruit characters going on that that complement the white raspberry well. And um, you know, as with most of our beers, we are shooting for that champagne like uh, carbonation level. We're shooting for that very kind of intense pop of the cork, and we want that um, that sensory assault of the, the bright acidity and the high carbonation and the intensity of the fruit is all part of um, what uh, what we try to deliver at Cascade as much as we can. So, But, yeah, the, the from Blanc, uh, you know, term we just kind of made up. We sort of took that uh, from, you know, <laughs> that, that raspberry term and combined it with Blanc and just slapped them together as a name. Um, and uh, it, I think it's a project that we're going to continue to try to grow. Uh, golden raspberries can be a little tricky to get um, your hands on any kind of large quantities because uh, so many growers are, you know, they want to sell them by the pint because they can, they can um, yield a pretty good price point. But, uh, but as often as, as much as we can, we're going to try to continue sourcing, um, uh, you know, the the max fruit that we can get out of this area. We might have to go to multiple farmers in order to accomplish that. But we're hoping to really grow this project up. Um, so we can distribute it nationally. Well, that's a terrific beer. Um, you know, one thing I neglected to mention in our last segment was that uh, the questions we got about uh, all the elderberry stuff yeah. was brought to us by Sour Beer Blog. Our friend uh, Dr. Lambic, Matt Miller, new uh, new article about surviving the apocalypse, zombie apocalypse oh, yeah. for homebrewers. Yeah. Oh, nice. Not joking. It's, 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 it's <laughs> I'm real. sure it's detailed. and It's extremely detailed. It's a real thing. And I'm not pragmatic. Joking. Yeah. And it's there. And it's a must read. That's all I'm going to say about it. But uh, I think we have some more questions via a caller on the phone. I think so. Jen? Yep. Yeah? Oh, no. Wild card? <laughs> uh, that's me. First off, I miss you guys. Um, I feel like I'm really bearing the burden here, keeping your phones on. 
Yeah, single-handedly. Uh, yeah, you're keeping it alive. That, that's me. I recently heard you had four lines, so that's luxury. <laughs> um, I am just being wildly misrepresented on this show. Oh, state your the, case. Yeah, the email that I actually sent did not say, this beer sucks, too. Uh, it said, it said, Jay is an elderberry. Yeah, um, you're a trash fruit, Jay. Well, that's accurate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, no, I really did have, it took me so long to get all of those tiny, we were using fresh, fresh elderberries. So, not only was the juice, like, neon blurple, uh, but they stuck to everything it took so long to get all of them out of that out of that 60 barrel stainless but but i did it um and i you know when i wanted you guys to know i felt like i should speak for myself um my emails are pretty terrible but uh i quite like them i mean i'll I'll keep sending them i think uh working now that you say that you were working with fresh elderberries i can feel your pain there jen uh we tried to do that once uh early on and uh we immediately knew we had to find another solution because working with fresh elderberries is is absolutely uh not at all sustainable jen what beer was that for well, it's for one that we haven't, yeah, I mean, that one's sitting in barrels now. So that was pre-fruited and stainless and then now sitting in neutral oak. Did you talk to Walt about not using fresh next time? I don't I don't even talk to Walt anymore. He recently purchased a Sabre, um, so probably <laughs> wait a couple months to come here unless you uh, own stock and safety glasses. Yeah, <laughs> Walt is gonna have. He's gonna have like a helicopter soon and yeah. laser vision, and he, he's a busy guy. Yeah, they'll, he'll own the landing pad too. It's like, yeah, it's the Wicked Weed landing pad. Well, I mean, he's got that one wheel thing now. I'm not sure if he had that when you guys were here for Funk Invitational. So he's basically becoming a cyborg. He doesn't walk anywhere. Yeah, he certainly had that. Are you serious? He was mad that he couldn't check it to bring it to Denver with him. But, uh... <laughs> oh, man. All right, any, any right, other news well, from uh, Asheville you, you'd like to report while we have you? We're, uh, we're slowly emptying Funkatorium. Uh, we moved two of the three fooders we have down last week, so... It's looking pretty empty in the back now, but uh, I don't know, exciting. We got in our brew house this week down south at the new facility, which has been really, really cool. But uh, other than that, no, not a whole lot. All right. Well, just make sure to keep listening and keep us honest whenever you feel like it. Indeed. Thanks for calling, Jen, and keeping the phones alive. (laughs) Thanks, Jen. (laughs) And now back to Cascade. (laughs) The token phone caller, Jen. Thank you. Um, So seamlessly transitioning into my next question, Kevin. Uh, You know, you talked about your you guys using this lactose strain. And I'd say, you know, when I tell people that you're, you're coming on the show, Cascade's going to be on, I'd say a majority of the interest is in this strain of lacto. So can you tell us some details on it? Like, what, what do you guys know about it? Um, how do you maintain it? How do you, how do you treat it? Well, uh, our culture is one that we, we keep uh, fairly guarded about. Um, it's kind of the one aspect of our brewing process that, we we like to we like to keep behind the curtain you know just uh but uh it's something that i you know we we have been successful at keeping it consistent for a number of years uh we we don't see a lot of drift with it um it's something that we are continually regenerating and and continually uh uh, what do I, I don't know, I'm not sure I want to, what I want to say about this straight in here. Um, uh, it, it's something that we found really um, brings the beers to just the right level of sourness for us. Um, you know, it has uh, a, a decent hop tolerance. It has a, a good alcohol and pH tolerance. But it, it typically uh, finishes out at, at a level of acidity that we are comfortable with with our beers, which is something that really uh, is highly prized for us and, and why we continue to use it over the years. Uh, a lot of people also, I, I, I'm not sure, uh, you know, I think we would like to get the word or educate our our, um, our, uh, our fans out there a little bit more about uh, how our beers are, many of our beers are actually semi-wild in their in their nature and that we are because we are working with fresh fruit and we're working with local fruit we're not we're not pasteurizing our fruit so i mean we're souring our base beers with lacto but once we fruit them uh, all of those fruit sugars and any of the remaining sugars in the beers are actually 
subject to all of the you know yeasts and bacteria that come in on the fruit so you know while our lactose strain is is kind of the foundation of our um, of our beers they really can go in a lot of different directions once the fruit comes into play gotcha and you know while the the lacto strain you know kind of remains proprietary and it is something that uh, you know stands out with your beers and and makes makes them special is it is it something that lives more in the oak barrel for you guys or is it uh, something you're keeping in like a stainless or glass vessel and having to add it to kind of each new inoculation well we we do continue we inoculate each barrel um or food or a tank or whatever we're filling so we we do inoculate with it but we do also it does live in our barrels um we actually see, you know, if we get a fresh barrel in from a, a local winery, uh, that that first turn, if we if we put, say, a, you know, a, a seventeen Plato uh, blonde ale into that, it it might take twelve months to fully mature and fully sour. But once we go and do the second turn, we'll see that twelve months reduced to maybe nine or ten. And then um, barrels that we've turned, I mean, we have some barrels in our cellar that we've turned. Um, six, seven, eight times. Those barrels really have a, a much faster sour fermentation. Um, so we know that that uh, we speculate. I think I guess we're concluding that um, the the culture is living in the barrels as well as in our inoculant. So uh, that's something that we we do have. Uh, we we try to keep a pretty um, robust barrel management system where we are actually sometimes deliberately selecting barrels based on how quickly we want to see the beer sour um, and if we if we want to see something move along a little bit quicker if we have a particular uh, base beer that we know tends to take its good old time we might put it into a well-used barrel so that it, it gets that extra kick of a uh, barrel uh, culture and when you're waiting the 12 months or you know it may be variable de- depending on your different uh, beers is it is it mostly waiting for or maybe i'll phrase this differently you know how how long does acidity take to develop versus the beer take to develop? And are you waiting for, is the beer development more like waiting for flavors to round out or off flavors to go away kind of thing? Yeah, it's a little bit of both. I, I think that early on the, the first few months we actually see what well, we, uh, I think I've heard other people refer to it as well as a sort of a sickness. We see this, um, lactose sickness kind of come in where there are a lot of off flavors that are being, out there and that usually occurs in the first two to three months after that it starts to clean up again and and um i would say the majority of the souring occurs in the first six months um we might see it continue to trickle down uh the the ph um, continue to trickle down uh for as many as eight or ten months uh it really depends on the um the gravity of the beer going in obviously the higher uh, gravity of the beer the, the longer it'll take to sour and vice versa but uh, I think that there is absolutely something to flavor maturity. Uh, if we, I think we could say, okay, yeah, this beer is terminal at eight months, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the flavor characteristics are fully uh, rounded. And I think a lot of that has to do with the barrel aging process. I think that uh, oak uh, and wood aging tends to have a way of softening acidity. I, I, you know, a lot of times these younger sours uh, think of them as kind of angular and um, having these sort of sharp edges to them and allowing the beer to age a little bit longer than, you know, just because it's finished with sour fermentation doesn't mean it's it's the best it can be. I think that giving it that extra time to to soften and to round and to just balance out a little bit more is, is important to us. And that depends on the base beer. I, I think it um, every every base beer we work with has its own personality. Uh, and then oftentimes we're fruiting, you know, we might fruit the beer eight months into the process and then adding all of those extra sugars restarts the process again for another six months or five months. So it, every project is a little bit different, uh, to be sure. Of course. And, uh, you know, I, I think we're running up against our, uh, our show break, uh, and I want to get to that break, but, and some of the listeners questions, I'm just, uh, got so many of my own questions. I want to put a period on this one. Um, you know, you mentioned the, uh, beers as they, uh, start to age, get the, the sickness, the ropiness. Um, I'm wondering what percentage of your beers as they age 
get that? And then have you ever also, have you also ever seen it post packaging in, in a bottle or a keg? Uh, well, we haven't really seen too much. Uh, we haven't seen an occurrence of ropiness in, in bottles or keg. We we will occasionally see the reformation of uh, pellicle in uh, in bottles. Um, I know occasionally we'll have uh, somebody raise a concern. It's really you know we just let people. It's like hey, this is a living this is a living thing, and uh, that's what that's what our culture wants to do naturally. Um, and and uh, but. Yeah, I, I think that uh, typically post-packaging, um, we don't – I mean the beer continues to develop. I'm not, I'm not sure. We, we don't have a, an overly robust science program to kind of examine some of the questions that we have about our own product. Um, I'm hoping to get there one of these days, but, but right now it's, it's purely sensory. Gotcha. So it's it's a pretty rare occurrence to see that, not just in bottles where you see you haven't seen it, but it, it's not uh, kind of across the board in your aging beers either. Uh, no, no. I, I mean, with with our beers, a lot of times we when we inoculate them because we we uh, the beers in the the kind of one month to six month period in that you know that adolescent period um, for us we almost set them into our stacks and, and forget about them and leave them, let the pellicle form, let, let them go about their souring. And we aren't even, uh, checking them very often. We like to kind of leave them undisturbed during that period. So, um, you know, we aren't, we aren't sampling everyone. Uh, but from my experience, we, we see that sickness occur in, in, in nearly every beer. Um, and it's, it's, it's more severe in others, uh, than, 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 um, you know, some of them don't get too bad, but at the same time, um, we aren't examining or doing very much sensory on the beer during those phases. Gotcha. I think that's about time for our first show break. What do you think, Scott? Sounds good to me. I mean, I got a million more questions than you do too, but whatever. Yeah, Kevin, can you hang on with us? Another show. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thanks to Kevin for this uh, first show. Thanks to you too, Scott. Of course, man. Great job. Great job on that segment. Thanks to our listeners, including Jen, who I'll never speak ill of again. <laughs> <laughs> Until next show, stay sour. <laughs>